Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth, which is totally relevant for every culture and every generation, but it never changes. And Lord, I want to pray this amazing truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ today would impact us so fresh. I pray it, Lord. I pray for fresh impact. It would be like hearing it all over again. It would be like hearing it for the first time because there'd be revelation on it. I just say, Holy Spirit, arrest our hearts with the truth today. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Christians are to be the most envied people on the planet, if what they claim is true. So we, we claim total forgiveness of sins, we claim reconciliation with God, we claim adoption into God's family, we claim God living in us, we, we claim guaranteed eternal life, we claim a clear conscience, we claim certainty of, of, of heaven and knowing for sure that when we face God we, we, we will not be condemned for the things we've done wrong. We claim the peace of God which goes beyond understanding. We claim the joy of the Lord. We claim friendship with God. We claim brotherhood with Jesus. We claim a covenant relationship with God where he has promised to um, love us forever and do us good. I mean the things we claim really should make us the envy of the planet if they are true. And if you look at Jesus' life, the, the, the reason why he was killed from a human perspective was envy. From a divine perspective it was the plan of God, but from a human perspective it was envy. The, it was his certainty, his liberty, his authority, his, his whole aura, everything about the man aroused envy in the religious leaders who didn't have what he had. The thousands of common people that gathered to him it aroused envy and so they plotted together to kill him. If you look at the Apostle Paul, the most prolific apostle in the New Testament, he was harassed and harangued around the known world. Why? Because the Jews were envious. Why? Well, because Paul was suggesting that this amazing salvation was open not to just the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. And the Jews hated it because they prized themselves on being God's special people. They prized themselves on the fact that they were God's own and that this salvation from God was for them. It was their thing. Paul said, no, it's open to the nations and they hated it. And so they would chase him, and they, some of them even made vows, we will not eat until we kill him. I wonder what happened to them. <laughs> I always wonder that. We never get a conclusion to that story, but a number of them said, we vow that we will not eat until we kill him. And then um, I think it's Paul's nephew, I think it gets wind of it, and sends him, tells Paul, Paul says, tell, tell the Roman centurion this message, Roman centurion finds out, and so they give Paul this guard, guarded kind of... Um, assistance all the, way, um, all the way to Rome because, because he's such a wanted man. But because they're envious that this amazing salvation has been opened up to the Gentiles as a free gift. But listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. If in this life only we've hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be envied, pitied. And so we've got 
perhaps two words in the English language that are, you couldn't get two further apart words. You've got this whole idea that we are really to be envied, not in a sense because, you know, we sort of in some kind of a smug way, but to provoke people to think, man, I want that. And yet Paul says, if Jesus hasn't been raised, and if our hope is for this life only, then we are of all people to be pitied more than all else. I don't know about you, but if you ever come across a situation, you're watching the news, or you see someone in the street, and they're obviously destitute, they have nothing, and you get talking to them, and they're heartbroken. Very often, people I talk to that are either on the streets or whatever, tragedy after tragedy. Haven't seen their kids for years, estranged from their wife or husband, just bitter catalogue of disappointment and you end up thinking, gosh, this is terrible. Your heart cries out to them because you feel pity. Well, Paul says we are to be pitied more than anyone if our hope in Jesus is for this life only. If he has not been raised from the dead, it is that strong. If Jesus hasn't been raised, then a Christian is a pitiable object. You think, what are they doing? Because not only do they have no guarantee of eternal life if Jesus hasn't been raised, not only does the Holy Spirit not live in them, but on top of all of that, they don't enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. (laughs) That's pretty sad, isn't it? Okay, So you don't enjoy any of the benefits of what it means to know the risen Lord Jesus, and yet at the same time, because you're trying to follow this kind of Jewish rabbi who spoke about being righteous, that you don't even enjoy the, the fleeting pleasures of sin, which are certainly pleasurable. But you don't get to do that either. And so you live in this horrendous, pitiable situation. The resurrection is huge. And we often focus on the cross, we wear the cross, it's a symbol of Christianity, but without the resurrection, what did Jesus accomplish? It's questionable. The vital element between envy and pity is the resurrection. That's the hinge, that's the pivot, that's what it hangs on. If you overlook the resurrection, you're left with a gospel that does not save. There's no salvation in the message without the resurrection. The resurrection speaks of so much. It speaks of Jesus' vindication as the Son of God. Because if he hadn't risen from the dead, actually you would be left thinking, well, what was that about? What was that man about? He was definitely unusual. He was definitely special. Some of the things he did and said were just outrageous. And yet, but he kept saying he was going to be crucified or handed over and then raised from the dead, and it hasn't happened. So what was it about? There's no vindication. There's no sense of, ah, whereas in his resurrection, what we see is, wow, he is the Son of God. Everything he said is true. So you see that in the resurrection. You see in the resurrection the whole thing, the whole concept that God is about a new creation. We'll look at that in a minute. It's very exciting. God has started a new creation. You see victory over death in the resurrection and over the fear of death. And you see eternal life in the resurrection. So what happened on that fateful Sunday morning? Let's read from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. If you've got a Bible with you, you may want to turn to it. I'm reading from the ESV translation. Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled, and they became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, 
Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he's risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. We're going to focus on two things today. Number one is new creation. Notice something. Back to Genesis for a minute, the creation story. What happens on day six? Any ideas? Day six. Any thoughts? God made man. Let us make man in our image, male and female, who created, he created them. On day six of the gospel story, it's the Friday. In the Jewish calendar, day one was Sunday. Day seven was Saturday. That was the Sabbath. That was the day of rest. So on Friday, when Jesus is interrogated and crucified, Pontius Pilate brings Jesus out after interrogating him to the crowd. And he says this, Behold the man. Now what's happening there? Two things. Number one, he's saying, behold the man. It's just normal. It's just that's what he's saying. But he's unwittingly speaking prophetically. What we see is, is that there's some parallels being drawn in with the creation story. Behold the man. This is the new Adam, the second Adam. What happened on day seven in the Genesis story? God rested. In the gospel story, Jesus rests in the tomb. What happens in the creation story on day one? Creation begins, doesn't it? Yeah, it's the, it's the, it's the, yeah, let there be light. Creation begins, yeah? Let there be light. Now, look in the story. Towards the dawn of the first day of the week. What are we being told here? Recreation. It's a brand new creation. This isn't some little thing going on here. This is an interesting thing. That man from Galilee's Rosen. God says, no, I am now bringing in from this day on my new creation. It will eventually stretch to the point where I will burn up this heaven and earth and create a brand new heaven and a new earth where a new humanity, organised not under Adam but under Christ, will dwell. God is saying this is big. This is very, very huge, what's going on here. The symbolism is all meaningful. It's not random, it's not accidental, it's not coincidental. It is God trying to get us to communicate something very huge and cosmic and universal is going on here. This is the declaration of a new creation. Now you're probably familiar with 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone, anyone wants to quote that? 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. Now, the Greek can also be translated like this. If anyone's in Christ, he is part of the new creation. Which is actually much more helpful because it's more than just saying, oh look, I'm a new creation, I'm brand new, which is what we are when we come to know Jesus, we're born again, we're brand new, hallelujah. But it's bigger than that, it's saying you're part of something cosmic that God is doing. God is creating the heavens and the new, uh, the heavens and the earth brand new, but the way he's starting, he's starting with Christ, then he's bringing out a, a people that gather under Christ, that are born anew and redeemed and hidden in Christ, and then he will take those people into a new heavens and a new earth. And so if anyone is in Christ, you're part of the new creation. You like that? Lovely, isn't it? Very lovely. 
The point is that Christianity is bigger than my little personal discovery. It's bigger than this little, I've found Jesus. I have found Jesus. He's found me. But it's bigger than that. Much more glorious than that. You see, Adam, the first Adam, represents disobedience. Jesus, the second Adam, which is what the Bible calls him, represents obedience. The first Adam represents sin. The second Adam, righteousness. The first Adam, guilt. The second Adam, cleansing. The first Adam, death. The second Adam, eternal life. The first Adam, separation from God. The second Adam, reconciliation with God. He comes to undo everything that Adam did that got us into our predicament. He's completely, perfectly successful in everything that he comes to do. Now you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. There's no third option. So you're either separated from God, living in the guilt of your sin, estranged from him and dead to him, or you've been made alive to God. You're forgiven and you're reconciled. There's no, well, maybe, well, let's just talk about this. It seems a little bit black and white, a bit extreme. It's what the Bible teaches. The Bible makes it clear. No one is independent. You're, we are all under a head. You're either under Adam, in Adam, or you're in Christ. You're either part of the old creation or you've been brought into the new creation, the new thing that God is doing. Each of us needs to know exactly where we stand. Exactly where we stand. Because a day of reckoning will come when we stand before the throne and we need to know on what grounds we expect acceptance before God. And the Bible is clear that when, <laughs> when you face God, it's so funny, isn't it, when some people say, well, when I, say, when I see God, I'm going to say this. and say, no, you're not. You're not going to say anything. You're going to be undone. There will be no words that will come to mind. You will simply be undone, is the only way I can explain it. When you are face to face with the eternal majesty, the glorious one, the only way you can be confident that he will receive you into his kingdom is because you are in his son and no longer in Adam. Every confidence you may have in your own morality, your own righteousness, will be completely stripped away and will be laughable at that point. Ridiculous. Before the throne, our only confidence can be Christ. You see, death had no authority over Jesus. Because the Bible says the sting of death is sin. What does that mean? It means, well, the power, the thing about death that really gives it its hold is sin. And so when we die... If we're, in, if we're not in Christ, when we die, you see, we are in our sins. We die in our sins. Therefore, death can hold on to us because its sting, which is sin, it has, has got a hold on us. You see, I don't exactly know how it happened in all the details because it's a mystery. But when Jesus died, I guess at some point he's left alone with death. And there's this exchange that goes on. There's this, there's this bizarre moment where death suddenly realises he thought he was, death thought everything was going to be fine because we're told on the cross that Jesus became sin. He was, he was so, uh, the sins of the world were so laid on him that he became sin. And so death's thinking, this one's sorted. No problems here. Suddenly Jesus is left alone with death and it becomes clear that all of those sins that are on him, none of them were his own. Like not one of them. And so suddenly death has nothing to hold on to Jesus with. And, suddenly, and so Jesus just walks free from death, just breaks the cords of death and is completely delivered from it. Hallelujah. You see, there's no authority. The authority that death has is sin. The Bible says this, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. So death got its access through sin getting access. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Well, there was one that didn't. His name's Jesus. 
he didn't sin. He was tempted in every way, but he didn't sin. He was pressurized in every way. He felt everything that we feel when we're tempted to do what we know we shouldn't. He felt it. In fact, you could argue he felt it more keenly than any of us because none of us have ever got to that point of total temptation oven being put up to the highest max because we tend to give in before that happens. But he just pushed through, pushed through, and pushed through. I mean, imagine the pressure he lived with. He knew it all hang on him. He knew this whole thing hung on him. If he did one thing wrong, he would no longer be the spotless lamb of God who could be sacrificed for the sins of the world. The whole thing is over. How do you live with that? He lived just total dependence on the Father. Isn't he awesome? Isn't he awesome? But what Jesus does is this, is that he leads us into his victory out of death. See, what does it mean for believers? Well, it means that in the Bible it's described as falling asleep when a believer falls asleep, when a believer dies. That's what it's described as, he's falling asleep. Now you think, why? Well, because there's two elements to death. One is the physical side, the other is the spiritual side. The Bible calls it the second death, and it refers to an eternity under God's righteous fury in a place called hell. The Bible is clear that we're not simply annihilated when we die. We either spend forever in heaven or we spend forever in hell. Both are real places in the spiritual realm. The only way you can spend forever in heaven is by being hidden in Christ and covered in his righteousness. No one in of themselves are righteous enough to be in heaven. And so, and so in that sense, because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, in and of ourselves, our portion is hell. And so that is the horror of death. That is what is so bad about it. It goes on forever. And salvation at that point is too late. But the believer, when he dies, falls asleep. Why? Well, because physically his body dies, but it seems to suggest from the Bible that immediately we're in the Lord's presence. Immediately. And in a place the Bible describes, uses the word paradise, where we wait for Christ to return, where we'll then be going to spend forever with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And so it's really just falling asleep. And so we don't fear death as believers. If you fear death today and you're a believer, I want to pray for you at the end of this service. Because death has absolutely no authority to wield fear over you about it. It's just falling asleep. You will be with Christ instantly. Instantly. Paul says, I'd rather, I'd rather be absent and with the Lord, but for your sake I'll stay on. I'll, you know, because you need me at the moment. He would just rather be with It's not a death wish. This isn't a suicidal thing. That is totally a different thing. But it's just that sense of, I know where I'd rather be. I want to be with Jesus. That's what it's about. If you're in Christ, you cannot be condemned to hell. For someone in Christ to be condemned to hell is as outrageous as the Father condemning Jesus to hell. Is he going to do that? He won't do that if you're in Christ. You're in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, we are part of God's universal and cosmic plan to make all things new. We've been introduced to the big story. Yeah, God is doing a new creation and we've been brought into it. So how do we respond to that? I want to just say this. Throw yourselves into what God is doing. You have discovered what everyone's looking for. Yeah, when people worship football teams and pop stars and celebrities, it's really just a, a, a manifestation of people looking for something bigger to be drawn into. The bigger thing, the bigger thing. You've been brought into the big thing. This is what God is doing. 
This is the story. This is the grand narrative. To, to lay your life down, to, 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 to surrender your own little part in the story in that sense and just say, I want to be caught up in what you're doing, God, is the only appropriate response. That's why the Bible says, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. Because God has totally opened up the panorama of what he's doing and he said, come follow me, I want to take you into it. Come and follow me in it. Come on, I've got an adventure for you. I've got great things for you. This is what the Lord has for us. So what does it look like then to sort of lay down the mini plot and get the big one? I'm not saying that we all leave our jobs and go and buy a communal farm and grow beards without moustaches and, you know, I don't know, you know, speak old English and ride oxen. I'm not saying that. The Amish thing. We're not, what... It's not that, but what it's about, it's about rejecting the old. It's about rejecting the old attitudes, individualism. It's all about me trying to do my thing. It's about rejecting that. It's about rejecting um, priorities that aren't of the kingdom, but you say, no, I'm going to submit my mind and my heart to the kingdom of God, and I'm going to allow God to shape me and mold me so that I'm in line with what he's doing. Now, that would mean a different thing for different people because of our different situations. But that's the heart of it. You say, right, I'm in. I'm in with what you're doing here. Lord, we're citizens of heaven. So, new creation. Second thing I want to look at today is this. How do we know that just because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we will be? In what way does Jesus' resurrection guarantee our own? In order to answer this, we've got to ask the question, what is Christianity? This is great. Are you ready? This is so exciting. Seatbelts on, right? What is Christianity? It is God joining people to himself in such a way that if anyone had ever suggested it, they probably would have been, I don't know, executed. <laughs> or if someone had ever thought it, they would have quickly said, oh, I must stop thinking that, it's too naughty. It's too irreverent, it's too inappropriate. It's so sublime what God has done. I want to look at some of the phrases the Bible uses today and say, if you're a believer, this is true of you. But before we do that, I want us to look at the transcendency of God. Certain people in the Bible have had encounters with God to such a degree they've not known what to do with themselves. Ezekiel was one. Ezekiel was a prophet. And one day he was, he was in exile in Babylonia and he saw a vision of the Lord. And he tries his best to describe it and he's lost for words. I was reading it last night. It's very long so I've decided not to read it in this setting. But it's just... He doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't know what to say. He's trying to describe it. He's using all these superlatives and adjectives and in the end he says, I just fell on my face as though I was dead. It's too much. Too much. You get these creatures with four faces on different sides, eagle, calf, human. And ox. Eagle, oh, bear. Lion. Bear, I thought it was a safe bet. Lion. Right? They've got six, they're seraphs. Flaming ones, the word means. Seraphs. They've got six wings. Right? Now, we'll do the Isaiah vision in a minute. This is the Ezekiel one. So they've got the, 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 the two wings there are touching one another's wings and they're all around the throne. And they're darting backwards and forwards like bolts of lightning. And they've got, they're flying with two of their other wings and two of their others, I think, they're covering their feet. And they're just like so mysterious. But what, there's these wheels that are kind of somehow in the spirit attached to them and they're wheels within wheels, which means you've got a wheel going like that and a wheel going like that, which means you can just go any direction, any of the four directions. But around the rims is covered in eyes. 
It speaks of the, just the omniscience of God, that he knows all things. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those whose hearts are strongly committed to him, that he might strengthen them. You see, there's, there's these eyes, it's the spirits of the living creatures who represent somehow the knowledge of God and the character of God, the different faces representing different aspects of God's character. Then there's this, there's this figure on the throne who, the top part, it, it looks like burning, glowing metal, um, and, 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 and then the bottom part is just like fire, is um, a human form in some way it looks like and then around it there's this, there's this rainbow and it's just too much as Ezekiel says I just fell on my face well Isaiah saw the same thing but slightly different and he just gets totally messed up he says woe is me he, sees, he says woe is me my eyes have seen the Lord of the armies of heaven woe is me he says I'm a man of unclean lips suddenly he's aware of his language he's aware of the things he says which maybe no one else even hears the little utterances moanings gossips uh, foul language he's suddenly aware of it when he's faced with the holiness of God he says I'm undone I'm ruined he sees the holy one who he's, he's so holy that even the train of his temple the, the train of his robe the, the, the end bit fills the entire temple speaks of the glory the majesty of God Daniel Daniel's another one who had visions of the pre-incarnate Son of God. And at the end, he said, I just go and lie down for two days. I just couldn't deal with it. It was just too much. Was, his face was pale and drained because he'd seen something of the glory of God. So that's who we're talking about here. But listen to what the Bible then says about us. The Bible says, the theologians use the term, we've been united with Christ. We've been joined with him. Now remember, you've said, what's, what's the link here? Christ. It's called in the Bible the Word. The Bible says the Word in the beginning was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this glorious transcendent God became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ, and we have been joined into Jesus. Now look at some of the terms, because this is, this is way beyond Jesus walking by our side. That's true, and that's good. Jesus is by my side, he's my friend. That is true, beyond it. It's beyond Jesus carrying us. It's beyond Jesus saying, I'm carrying you because you're going through a hard time. Good, but beyond that. Here's some terms. We, have been, we, we, are, we are partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. You want another one? All those who are joined to Christ are one spirit with him. You're one spirit with Christ. That you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Here's one. This is a bit sublime. That you are the body of Christ. Now what is this? This speaks of a voluntary incompletion that Christ has taken on in order that we might become his completion. It's voluntary. He fills all things, he's complete in and of himself. But it's almost a voluntary thing. We said, I'm on the head, but you are the body. We're gonna, you're going to grow up into my likeness. We're going to be reign together forever. It's that close. It's so beyond what we could even have ever imagined. There's others, that he's the vine and we're the branches. Think of the imagery. Look at what's being said here. This isn't being said, this is being said. It's a joining, it's a weaving, and it's an organic connectivity that we've been crucified with him, that we've been buried with him through baptism, that we've been raised with him, and that we are now seated with him in the heavenly places. If you're a believer at this moment, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Do you love it? This is the truth. This is the gospel. This is what God has done for us. Our imagery in salvation cries out, the bread and the wine. Jesus said in John 6, if you want to have anything to do with me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. A lot of people said, ugh, this you've gone too far. They left it. Thousands left. Thousands in a moment. Jesus was left with 12. <laughs> how, to, how to destroy a church in a moment. <laughs> there were thousands of them. Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Bang. Too much. Inappropriate. Vampire. Weird. Yeah? 
just too much. It's not religious. We like the religious stuff. Well, okay, let's do some. Let's do some religious. Come on, let's do some. This is just too. It's like oh, Jesus, says, that's the deal. I want you to be part of me. So when I take the bread and the wine, the thing I pray more than anything, I say, Lord, I want in with you. I want in with you. I want, an, I want that intimacy with Jesus. That's what he's got for us. That's what he wants. It's not supposed to be just a theological fact, guys. It's supposed to be experience. It's always the case. Everything the Lord does in the theological objective sense, he wants to bring us into an experience of it. Otherwise, it just becomes theory. Our heads get big. Our hearts shrink. What's the point? This is sublime what God does with us. Baptism, being buried with him, raised up into newness of life. The whole of the Christian position and all of its claims, forgiveness, adoption, reconciliation, resurrection, hang on the fact that we've been joined with Christ. Every benefit we have hangs on the fact that we are in him and he has taken us into what he's accomplished. You need to be so familiar, if you're a believer, with what it means to be in Christ. Because outside of Christ, guess what? You've got nothing. Coming to Christ is coming into him and everything that he has, you have. Is Jesus accepted before the Father? That's how you know you are. Is Jesus blame free before the Father? That's how you know you are. Is Jesus welcome before the Father? Yes, that's how you know you are. Is Jesus righteous? Yes, that's how you know you are. His righteousness is given to you. This is the gospel. This is it. It's about being joined with Christ. And so I want to end with two questions. Number one, how do you know if this has happened to you? How do you know if you've been joined to Christ? And the second question is this, how can you come into this if you haven't? So we're going to answer those two questions and we're going to finish. You ready for this? How do you know if you've been joined to Christ? There's some tests you can take. Test number one, can you say, with, not just with your mouth, but with your heart, Jesus Christ is Lord? Can you say that and mean it? Not just words, but you mean it. Jesus Christ is the Lord. Jesus Christ is my Lord. Do you believe that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life? Do you believe that? That's an objective test. There's more tests. The next test. Since being joined to Christ, has there been some kind of life change? Are you different in some way? Are things in some ways different? Is there more love where perhaps before there was hate? Is there more joy where before there was despair? Is there more peace where before there was turmoil? Now, I'm not talking about complete love, complete joy. You know, we're all works in progress. But nevertheless, there's some sense, no, I'm not what I was. Yeah? It's different. I've changed. I've been born again. I can no longer sin happily. Yeah? That's a good test. Are you troubled when you sin? If you are, it's a sign you're born again. It's a spirit in your grieved. But before, whatever. Just make an excuse. And then the final test is this. If you're a believer and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, then you know because you know. <laughs> you know because you know because you know. You just know. I'm not talking about a life that is a non-stop, unbroken, mountaintop, spiritual ecstasy, living on a cloud thing for one minute. Okay, But nevertheless... You can say along with Paul, I know him whom I've believed. I know him. I want to know him more, but I know him. Can you say that? Can you say I know him? Or when people talk about him in a personal way, you find yourself thinking, it's a bit weird. Odds are you don't know him. 
There's a relationship with him, sometimes more tangible than others. Definitely. (laughs) We all know that, but it's there. There's a relationship. You can't pretend that Jesus isn't the Son of God because the indwelling Spirit witnesses to the truth. A miracle's taken place. You join to Christ. You trust him, falteringly, imperfectly, but increasingly you trust him because you're born again. Now, you're not necessarily free from doubts, and maybe sometimes you think to yourself, what if I'm making this all up? Anyone anyone ever done that? You're just me. What if if this whole thing is just (laughs) made up? There are those moments. You think, you know, you're walking around and praying in tongues, you think, what are you doing? (laughs) I've just watched a film. I mean, I don't know what I'm praying. (laughs) I haven't seen any clear answers in the last couple of hours. Like, what the heck is going on? And you have those moments where you think, but beyond that and beneath that, you just know. Do you know what I mean? So you, there's these things that come, emotional, moral question, but you just know. You know that he is who he said he is and you know that you belong to him. Final thing is this, is that when you meet other believers there's, and you get talking about the Lord, there's a connection. You speak in the same language. It's not just like, you know, I mean, I'm sure some believers are sometimes like that. <laughs> but, you know, generally speaking, you know. Um, but, you, you know, there's a sense of, when you talk about, yeah, I thought God say this. You think, yeah, I know, I know what you're getting at there. You might use different terms, but you know, we're talking about the same thing. We're on the same page. You understand what I mean? It's fellowship. That's supernatural. That's a supernatural experience. You never met someone before, you say, hey, what's, what's the Lord doing in your life? You start speaking, you feel, yeah, I know, I understand. That's fellowship. That's supernatural. You can't, just, you can't get into that kind of groove without the Lord living in you. So there's some tests so that you know. But here's a big question. How can you be joined to Christ if that's not true of you? You may be here today, you may be religious, but you're not born again. You're not. You, don't, you, couldn't, you couldn't look me in the eye and say, I know him. You may know bits about him. You may know some Bible stories, but you couldn't say, I know him. How do you come into that? Well, what I'm going to say for the next few minutes is not necessarily easy. I'm going to be truthful and down the line. So I want to set it in the context of God's love. I want to say, before I say this, God loves you fervently. God loves you passionately. God loves you personally. And out of his love, I want to speak the truth to you. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. That's what I want to do. I'm not a salesman. and I'm not a politician. Because of that, there will be no flattery or spin or hidden clauses. I'm going to say it as the Bible says it. Outside of Christ, you are separated from God's life. You are estranged from him. You don't know him. You may know certain things about him, you may not, but you don't know him. The Bible, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I am one of many ways. He said, I am the way. You don't come to the Father except through me. I am the way to the Father. If you don't know him, you don't know the Father. You may have had spiritual experiences, this, that and the other, but if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Father. Now in one sense you might be thinking, this is a bit personal. Yes and no. No, from the point of view it's universal truth. It's true of all of us. No one's better than any other. We're all in the same boat. But yes, it is personal in the sense that, yeah, what are you going to do about it? Because I can't make a decision for you about Jesus and you can make one for me. You can only make it for yourself. And so, yes, it is personal. What are you going to do? 
because you're in that position and you, it's not a good position to be in. You're outside of God's life. You're outside of God's love. You're outside of relationship with him. You need to be in. It's desperate. It's not theory. It's not religion. It's not, oh, which, which, which religion should I choose? No, no. It's about being made alive to God. It's about being regenerated, being born again. It's about coming out of religion, hallelujah, with all its trappings and coming into a relationship with God. You might say, you don't understand, you know, like, so many bad things have happened to me, that's why I'm like I am. If those, those, all those bad things had happened, then I'd be different. And I would say this, yes, you probably would be different, but you'd still be outside of God's life. And you would still need forgiveness. Because the key problem is not what you've been through, it's the things you've done wrong. It's your sins. And until you own your own sin and acknowledge it before God, there's no forgiveness. There's no way back to God. If you spend your whole time pointing the finger, yeah, this happened, that happened, it was this person, that person, you're not helping yourself. You need to hold your hands up in the air and say, I am a sinner, I need forgiveness. No more excuses, no more justifications, no more arguments why I've sinned. That is the reason why I'm cut off from God. I want to acknowledge my sin and I want to ask Jesus to forgive me. You might say, well, how do I know he will if I ask him? I'll tell you how you know because of the cross. At the cross, the Bible says he bore in his body our sins on the tree. He bore them in his body. So the father was executing justice and anger and wrath for your sins on his son so that you wouldn't have to go through it. That is how Jesus opened up a way for salvation. You might say, I'm not sure I'm a sinner. Convince me, okay? Here's the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. Have you done that? You might say, but that's not fair. I don't know. I'm, I'm a decent person. I'm not like Sansa down the road. They've, they, they nick things, or this person here, but they were in prison. Have you done that? Have you loved the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? And have you loved your neighbor as yourself? If you haven't, you've fallen short, you've broken the law, God's law, and you're under his judgment. And that's where we all are. We're all in a desperate situation. You need to understand that the answers are not in yourself. The answers are in Jesus Christ crucified for you. This is not the Disney gospel. Believe in yourself hard enough and everything will be alright. You can fly. No, you can't. You need Jesus. Do you think if the answer was in you, God would have sent his son to die for you? Don't you think that God would have, don't you think that God would have said it's fine? You, you'll figure it out. We are helpless and hopeless left to ourselves and so God has provided the only way for us to be rescued. It's through his son, Jesus Christ. You might say, it sounds foolish. How can I, you expect me to believe a man crucified on the cross 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away, can have any bearing on my situation today? It's deliberate. The Bible says, since the world in its wisdom hasn't come to know God, God was pleased to use the foolishness of the message of Christ crucified being preached to save those who believe. It's a deliberate ploy of God because in our wisdom we haven't come to know him. God says, fine, we use a foolish message. And it strips away our pride our self-righteousness, our self-confidence, and we come on our knees to the cross and we say, Lord, forgive me, please, have mercy on me. God says, absolutely. I'll raise you up and I'll bring you to myself and I'll love you with an everlasting love. No question. The price has been paid. God will do it. So turn away from your sin. Put your trust in Jesus and get in the water. Be baptised. That's how you get saved. That's how you do it. That's salvation. You might say, I'll do that, and then what, what, what happens? I'll tell you what, God will do what only he can do. He will take out your heart of stone, and he'll put in a heart of flesh. It's called being born again. He will give his spirit to come and live inside of you forever. 
He will make you his own. You will know that you belong to him. You will have a relationship with him. Before I got saved, my favourite pastime was either drinking or watching unwholesome films or whatever. After I got saved, my favourite pastime became going over the field opposite my house and walking around talking to Jesus. People thought I was mad, but they didn't get it. I knew him. I knew him now. What else would I want to be doing? I know him. <laughs> it's not just saying my prayers anymore. It's praying now. It's speaking to God. It's very, very simple. It's very, very simple. And the final thing is this. It's necessary regardless of your background. Whether you've had a churchy background or not, your background will not save you. All that can save you is a living relationship with the living one. That's the only way you can be saved. Don't put it off. Do not put it off. If that is you today and you, you just don't know that you know Jesus for sure, I want to urge you, I want to urge you, seek him while he may be found. Seek him. Seek him. Come and speak to us afterwards. We'll pray with you. We'll pray with you. We'll talk with you. We'll advise you, counsel you, so you can get into relationship, intimacy with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're alive. Thank you that we're in you. Thank you every benefit we receive is through our union with you, Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you for this amazing gospel message. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you, Lord, that you've risen from the dead and you're alive forevermore. And Lord, we love you today. Thank you, Lord, that even now in this school canteen, we can encounter you, the living God, because you don't despise us. You don't despise these settings. You don't despise these things. It seems kind of makeshift, but you come near because you don't despise contrite hearts and broken spirits. And Lord, we've got nothing more than that to offer. We know that outside of you, we have nothing to bring, Lord. All we've got really is just that sense of brokenness and we know that all that we have, we have because you've had mercy on us. And I thank you in your great glory, you draw near to us in that. And Lord, I pray as we praise and worship you, I want to ask, especially in a, I'll ask in a big way, Holy Spirit, you would draw such praise and worship from our hearts today that you would even pull back the curtains some more so we can see more of Jesus. You'd give us revelation today, I pray. We love him, but we want to love him more. We know him, but we want to know him more. We've seen him, but we want to see him more. So Holy Spirit, reveal the wonderful Jesus Christ to us as we praise and worship today. Amen. Amen. If the 